0: Hello and welcome back to Know Better with Amanda. My name is Amanda Swartz and I'm the host of this podcast. I released the first episode of Know Better with Amanda three days ago and I've received a lot of very kind messages supporting my endeavor and those words are deeply appreciated by me. So thank you for listening and continuing to listen. Today is December 27th, 2021. We're closing out the new year, and I wanted to make an episode of a little 2021 reflection. These are the bullet points that I have written down about the topics that I want to discuss in this episode. Time and invisible progress. Losing my dog, Lucas. Breakup healing. Surrendering what's out of my control, my most bizarre story of the year, the excruciating pain of learning, prodigy before practice. I think the year 2021 has not been so eventful for me, but if I can place myself in who I was at this time last year, I've done so much healing, albeit gradual. I'll paint you a picture of what's going on in my life right now. It is 1.44 p.m. It is very bright outside, which I love because it means that I don't have to have any unnatural light going in my room. So it's just light and serotonin is bumping through. I have my incense lit. I wanted to say litten, but that's so wrong. I have my incense lit and a candle going Um, the heat is on because it's a crisp 49, 52 degrees outside in Los Angeles, which for us is pretty cold. I spend most of my time now in Connecticut on the east coast for college and it is much colder there right now, but the power of contrast dictates that I will be cold relative to where I am physically located yesterday i called my sister who's living on the east coast right now in boston and i told her that it was cold in la and she said tell that to my frostbitten fingers which was a fair retort anyways things are going pretty okay pretty well right now in my home someone in my household does have covid which is unfortunate so we are all quarantining but I feel lucky to be doing so in the comfort of my home with my cute little dog beside me at all times. In front of me right now is my moleskin journal, which contains the bullet notes that I want to talk about this episode. As I mentioned earlier, I don't know that 2021 has been such an eventful year, but I do think that I've made a lot of progress and growth that wasn't necessarily visible to me at the time that I was making it. This time last year, I was on my winter break, but due to COVID, my school set our winter break from the beginning of Thanksgiving until mid-February or the beginning of February, which was a really long time. It was like having summer breaks smack in the middle of the year. I had taken a few incompletes in my classes, and I was really stressed about just finishing my finals up, and I'm grateful this year that somehow I managed my time and did not have to do that this year so I do have a lot of nice free time on my hands. This time last year I had just initiated a breakup and was very distraught emotionally and overall I just wasn't doing so well so I'm, I'm grateful to be in my winter break this year in a much better and more healed headspace. The first note I have under my 2021 reflection is time and invisible progress. In AA or Alcoholics Anonymous, there's the saying that we should all be taking it one day at a time, and I really do feel that I've practiced this concept over the past year. There have been many moments where I've been overcome with emotion about certain circumstances, whether they be about my academic obligations or interpersonal relationships. And I've consistently just reminded myself that I can only do what I can in the moment and taken it day by day. I think often it's easy for me to get bogged down by the idea that I have to figure everything out that seems wrong in my life at one given moment. And sure enough, that never works out. In treatment, they call this phenomenon future tripping, which is just what it sounds like. You're tripping about what the future is going to be and you're going down the rabbit hole. When I am having a hard time and overwhelmed about the future or future responsibilities, something that does help me is thinking about whether or not my worry in the current moment is effective. And future tripping gives me a term to identify when distress is completely ineffective. While worry may seem contrary to instant gratification, I think they are linked because worry kind of gives me an instant out of action, tangible action, and making my life better. Sometimes this action in time and invisible progress is just making the conscious choice to get out of bed and take a shower or choosing not to spend another hour on social media or tiktok and these small habit diversions build over time and i just have ended up making a better routine for myself the other day i was talking with my friend amelia and She was saying that even if it's not immediately helpful to tell a friend that time is going to help with their pain, whether that be about a breakup or a conflict that they're having with a parent or a friend, the record shows that time helps heal all wounds. So the choices that we make in that time, the small choices that we make, build up and contribute to Our general happiness in the future. Some choices that I've made that I believe have contributed to my overall progress this year that seemed invisible at the time were that I started listening to a lot of audiobooks and podcasts. The experience of going through a breakup is inherently very lonely and when I've listened to people that I admire authors that I admire, whom I admire, I feel less lonely and more connected to myself, which is the overall goal. Another habit that I've taken on that has become a part of my nighttime routine does not immediately seem like it would contribute to great or better mental health, but I have found that putting on lotion on my body every night is a meditative and helpful routine for me. For one, I naturally have very dry skin so putting on moisturizer makes my life better because the cold does not hurt me as bad when my skin is adequately hydrated. Another reason is that when I put on lotion I can choose to do so mindfully. I can putting it on and thinking about how I'm grateful for my skin or that I'm grateful that I have the time to treat myself gently and carefully. I also don't necessarily look forward to doing this whole lotion routine like it's not something that I'm like oh I can't wait to do it's kind of something that I would rather just go to sleep without doing but when I have finished I do feel sense of accomplishment and I know that I've taken care of myself in some way to prepare myself better for the next day. Another game changer for me was just getting a water bottle. Specifically, I really like having a hydro flask. I like drinking cold water. I know that's not for everyone. My sister likes drinking room-temperature water and it scares me a little bit but it's also impressive because that's a lot more convenient most of the time. But having a hydroflask means that I can put a few ice cubes in and eight hours later the water is still cold. Before having this water bottle I just didn't seek out hydration as much as I should have and I have seen an improvement in my physical contentment. The only downside is just needing to go to the bathroom more frequently but needing to go to the bathroom more frequently just means being forced to get out of bed more frequently which is a good thing. As you can understand I've been talking about listening to books and putting on lotion and drinking water which are all very small things that are easily achievable and help with my long-term well-being. The other nice thing about audiobooks that I didn't mention is I like listening to audiobooks while doing other mindless tasks. So frequently I'll fold laundry or just tidy up my space at school while listening to a book that brings me pleasure. So I wind up killing two birds with one stone. At the end of this episode I will list some of the books that I listened to or read or reread during the year 2021. Something that I found about working on myself in private and perhaps slowly, is that you have to be the person to praise yourself for taking care of yourself. Of course, when we're younger and we achieve certain common milestones, the people we love or our friends are going to support and praise us in hopes that we continue to learn or be better at a certain habit. For example, when I was younger, I would be the first kid to hop on the phone to call a grandparent about how I learned how to ride a bike and get that external validation and as we get older it's more and more important to rely less on external validation and rely more on yourself to be appreciative of you doing the right things for you so when I'm at school and I choose to do my laundry or clean the dishes in my room instead of watch another four YouTube videos, I kind of make a mental note to myself like, oh, I did this good thing. And then in the future, when I have two options to either be productive or not productive, I want to feel that sense of self-achievement that I talked about noting after choosing to do the task most beneficial for me. And Do not get me wrong, more often than not, I do what's comfortable and I watch the YouTube videos because progress is not jumping from one extreme to the next, it's building healthy habits over time. For me, one of the greatest, greatest, new word alert, greatest barriers to making the kind of progress I'm looking to make is the voice in my head that says, I'll do it next time or I'll do it tomorrow. That becomes a cycle that's never-ending. Sometimes all it takes is one or two times making the healthier choice and just proving to ourselves that we're capable of doing something different. And each person's progress varies by the individual. It can be so intimidating to even try to grow if our standards for ourselves do not reflect current state of being. It is one thing to have reasonable goals for ourselves and it's another to have self-expectations so grand that they paralyze us from even moving forward. I have found this to be particularly true when it comes to grief. My next bullet point is about losing my dog Lucas. Lucas was my first dog. We got him when I was maybe in the third grade and he passed away in june of 2021. in the last episode i talked about how i had anxiety as a child and a big way that that manifested when i was younger was i was petrified so so scared of dogs growing up to the point that my friends would put their dogs away while i was over or even hearing key's jingle made me really physically uncomfortable because I thought it was the sound of a dog collar. So in my family it was a really big deal when we got our first dog. We got Lucas from a dog rescue that was a block and a half from our elementary school. This rescue was rightfully shut down a couple years later when it was exposed that they were claiming to be a non-profit and in fact were not a non-profit. There seems to be a lot of dog rescues like that in Los Angeles, but that's an entirely different episode. Anyways, he was two and a half when we got him, or they told us he was two and a half. He was clearly not a puppy, and he turned out to be the best dog for me to do some faux exposure therapy with in conquering my fear. He also came to the house and was immediately potty trained. The rescue got him from a high kill shelter and before that I assume he was in another home because when he got to our house he immediately knew to scratch at the door to be let out Lucas was immediately convenient loving and fit beautifully into our family he really was such a sweet dog one time we had gone out as a family and it was a Friday and we had celebrated Shabbat that Friday so we had a giant Holla on our kitchen island. Lucas was full grown when we got him, but that just meant being a foot above the ground. It did not seem conceivable that he could jump four times higher than himself onto the counter, but sure enough, he jumped onto the kitchen island, and there was a holla, like I mentioned, and he took five pieces, probably more of Hala and put each piece in our beds for us to find when we got home. I'm sure he got to eat a good amount of the bread, but it was so sweet for him to attempt to share with his humans. Another time he ran away from the house and for 30 minutes we were panicked and crying and driving and walking around to come find him, and he just came back to the house after walking on one of the sidewalks next to one of the biggest streets by our home. Every member of my family loved him so deeply. He served as a point of connection between me and my older brother because before we got Lucas, there just wasn't so much for us to relate upon. But Zach and I had such a sweet spot for our mutual love of our dog. In elementary school, Lucas was a central part of my personality. I called him a chicken nugget, and just thought it was the most creative thing, and I would not take back any of it. Years later, when I went to treatment, I couldn't be with Lucas because I was living away from home and this was really hard for me, and I think about a month in, he could come and visit me. and. I'll just never forget how encouraged I was by his presence. As corny as it may sound, he was definitely something that helped me keep going during my most difficult times. Probably when he was about 9 or 10, he started having cataracts and showing signs of deafness and poor vision. And then later on, he had some liver problems and we gave him medication for that and then he developed alopecia which meant that a lot of his hair was falling out which made him look sick he started bumping into walls and having trouble with stairs and we took him back to the vet and they seemed to think that he had doggy dementia at one point lucas and i were both taking prozac which i think is absolutely hilarious independent of his sickness of course. During my second semester of my junior year of high school we thought it would be nice to get a puppy because one why wouldn't it be nice to get a puppy and two having a younger dog is supposed to kind of lengthen the life and energy of an older dog and getting our puppy noodle did just that and it was extremely precious to see how patient and tolerant he was toward her, because Noodle used to bite his ankles and come running underneath his body, and Lucas was sick at this time, and he only showed curiosity, indifference, or interest in Noodle, never aggression, except when she tried to steal his food. In the year leading up to his death, he had had seizures and gone to the doggy hospital to get checked out more and more he was running into things and having difficulty kind of physically catching up with noodle there is a specific pain in watching your dog suffer one because they can't communicate and two dogs have never done anything to deserve any sort of suffering and he was definitely having a lot of physical trouble When I was little, I used to hold Lucas so tight and close my eyes and do what I called a picture memory. I'd imagine the scene that we were in and just feel all of the love that I felt for him and just hold on to that for the future. When things started to really go downhill for him, I could reflect on these moments that I created for myself as a child and feel some sense of peace. June came and Lucas started having regular and very scary seizures. We would take him to the doggy hospital and then take him home per their recommendation and take him back. During this time my friend Kate happened to be visiting me in LA and we were supposed to have such a fantastic time but unfortunately that was the week that the doctors and my family decided that it was best if we put Lucas out of his misery. He was screeching with pain and dogs do this thing when they're really experiencing pain where they arch their back and try to protect themselves from it and he was doing this nonstop. He was having a lot of trouble breathing and we decided that it was best for him to be put out of his misery. I didn't want him to spend one moment of his life where he was in pain just so we could have some comfort. My dad, my sister, and my brother were all out of town, and we, my mom and I Zoomed them in. We all talked to him and loved him and shared our favorite memories, and then the vet administered something to put him to sleep, and he died in my lap. I miss him so much. I know Noodle really missed him and misses him, and my whole family and I are still grieving. One of my favorite quotes is that grief is the cost of love. I heard this from my rabbi, rabbi leader, and those words help me go from a place of deep hurt to a sense of gratitude for the fact that I even got to love this dog as much as I did. It's been important for me not to place a timeline on my grief of losing Lucas. It's been six months since his death and there are still days when I look at areas of our home or doggy beds and I can imagine him sitting or sleeping there to this day when I take Noodle outside. I miss helping Lucas get up the steps, and I miss waiting on him to come back inside. Time has undoubtedly helped the pain be less constant, but I will always miss and love Lucas with my entire heart. When I went back to school after losing Lucas this summer, I walked into the hallway of my new dorm and on two of the doors I saw the name Lucas. Two freshman students were named Lucas and happened to be placed right next to my room. To my surprise I was not upset by this. Instead I was very comforted by the fact that I was continuously surrounded by his name. The first time that I met one of the Lucases living in my hall was the first day that I got to school for my sophomore year. And the freshmen get there a little bit early for orientation. I wouldn't know because my freshman year was orientationless. But he came up to me and he said, Hi, my name's Lucas. What's your name? That's not what he sounds like, but it's fun for me to imitate. And I said, Hi, nice to meet you. My name's Amanda. Lucas is my dog's name and he said, oh, awesome, and I said, he died this summer, and he said, oh, I'm so sorry, and I just made sure to make it awkward right off the bat by showing him that I had the name Lucas written or engraved on my necklace that I was wearing. I joked with him that I already had a whole necklace dedicated to my hallmate. This is just a silly story, but I think it goes to show that Grief can look like a lot of different things. It can be sad and mourning and it could also be joking and reminiscing and neither way is the right or better way to cope with such a big loss. In a similar sense that there's no way or no right way to cope with losing a pet, there is also no right way to cope with the loss of a person in your life and the next note that I have under my 2021 reflection is breakup healing and the only thing I wrote under that was actually don't discount goodness upon reflection I wrote that in my journal I think like six months ago when I realized that I was canceling out all of the good things that I had experienced in my previous relationship in an attempt to protect myself from the fact that there was both good and bad in the relationship. I think a lot of the times it's easy for us, i found in my friends and with me, to choose to view our relationships after the fact as all good or all bad, and that's typically never the case. It's a lot easier to put a person into one category than to appreciate that all people myself included fall under a lot of different categories positive and negative and let's not forget the neutral categories don't want to forget those i've noticed in this podcast that my s's sound kind of sharp and i don't know how to feel about it on one hand when i was younger i was envious the kids who had retainers that caused them to have that like sharp s sound because I don't know I thought it was a cool kid thing but now I have this little voice in my head that's like every time I use an s is that kind of annoying to the listener but that's the kind of worry that I would label as ineffective because what you gonna do Anyways, let's get back to the breakup healing bullet point. I broke up with my ex after my first semester of college. We had stayed together from our relationship over the summer. And the end of that relationship was particularly hard for me in a way that my first relationship in my freshman year of high school was not because... There was a good amount of lying and cheating which i could not control and even though i knew for a bit that i needed to end that relationship i still had a huge bruise to my ego when you give a person a second chance after they've really hurt you it can be a nice thing because i do believe in second chances i think it's important to offer people that gift. But when a person betrays you again after you opened yourself up to them a second time, it kind of feels like you've closed the door on your own finger, like I put myself here. At the time, I felt like I had set myself up to experience pain and that sort of felt like a self-betrayal. And for a few months after the breakup, into the beginning of 2021 I was kind of I think my brain was addicted to thinking about the hurt and I don't know that I would have looked at it this way then in fact I really doubt I would have but I think that obsession with focusing on the pain that was inflicted on me from another person was a way of me deflecting my own accountability in the fact that I had to move on and accept that what I thought the relationship could be would never happen and to know that I'm responsible for my own happiness. There's a quote that says, where attention goes, energy flows. And the internet says that it's a quote by James Redfield. I don't know who that is, but I have seen these words before and they resonate with me. The more we focus on hurt and pain, the more inevitably we promote those feelings of hurt and pain. And it's not always as simple as just not thinking about it or choosing to ignore the hard feelings. At the same time, I do believe that it's possible to, over time, help yourself into a different, healthier way of thinking. And in the year 2021, I really do feel that I have made great progress on that end. One of my other favorite quotes, this will come up a lot in the podcast where I just read off my favorite quotes. This one is by Nelson Mandela and it's about resentment he says that resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies and to me these words mean when i stew in bitterness i am often the only one to face the repercussions of that negative attitude with resentment especially in romantic relationships It's easy to fall under the false impression that fixating on the hurt that another person caused you will lead them to be equally focused and remorseful of their behavior, but to the same extent that our own growth is not instantaneous, the behavior of the person who hurt us is not likely to change without time and consistency, no matter how much resentment we harbor toward them. Holding Ill will does not speed up another person's path to becoming a better version of themselves. If anything, it just promotes resentment on their end and keeps us miserable. I want to make it clear that I'm not suggesting that it's wrong to have moments or periods of time when we are bitter. What I am saying is that resentment often doesn't get us to the place that we're looking for it to take us. The next bullet point I have on my list is surrendering what's out of my control. And this is kind of self-evident. I think over the past couple years, we've heard a lot about things being out of our control with coronavirus. This concept of surrender was introduced to me about five years ago when my treatment team wanted me to surrender to the fact that I was going to need help for a bit before I could function on my own in the regular world. And similarly to how I talked about in my last podcast episode that the word vulnerable had a negative connotation for me, so did the word surrender. My immediate thought was, so you want me to give up and not stand for what I believe in but surrender is not about not standing for what you believe in. It's about accepting the fact that there are a lot of things that are out of our control. One of the main quotes in AA is, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. In my treatment five years ago and in my recovery today it is essential to my well-being for me to put more focus on keeping my side of the street clean instead of giving attention to the things that aren't in my power. One of the things that is in my power and a way for me to attempt to try to keep my side of the street clean is storytelling and especially storytelling through this podcast. My next bullet point is my most bizarre experience of 2021. The story that I'm about to tell took place in late May or early June of this past summer. I had a plan with two girls, Amelia and Callie, to get dinner in Malibu at a restaurant called Cafe Habana. I drove us all out there, we got to the restaurant, we were seated, and we ordered our food. After about an hour of a typical dinner and enjoyable conversation and good food, I got up to go to the restroom. At this restaurant, there are two bathrooms on either side of a pretty large bar. The first bathroom that I went to was occupied, so I walked over to the other side of the bar and on my way to the next bathroom, I made eye contact with a man sitting at the bar and he winked at me. I froze for about a second and thought to myself, what the fuck is OJ Simpson doing at this bar? Instead of finishing my route to the restroom, I pivoted and kind of ran back to our table where I told Amelia and Callie, I think OJ Simpson is here. In a moment of confusion one responded he's dead and the other said he's in jail and i said neither of those things are true and i don't think it could really be him after about a minute i remembered that just a week or two prior i had binge watched the 10 episode series on netflix titled the people versus oj and i figured that the person i made eye contact with must have been the actor who played oj simpson In the series. So we look up the cast of the people versus OJ and see that Cuba Gooding Jr. was the actor who played OJ's character. I could tell because when I clicked on Cuba's Google images, I saw a photo of him being arrested and immediately connected it to the series. And while I 100% know that Cuba Gooding Jr. does not look very similar to OJ Simpson, I had just watched 10 hours of him playing that character so when I made eye contact with him at the bar I had a moment of panic and confusion. When I came to know that it was Cuba and not OJ I was excited because I had made eye contact with this famous actor and I knew that he won an Academy Award at the Oscars in 1997 which I thought was cool. He was seated alone at the bar so I asked Amelia and Callie if they thought it would be okay if i went up to him and told him that i admired his talent in the series the people vs. oj to which they responded why not go for it so i went up to the bar he greeted me with a smile i told him that i thought he did an incredible job in his role in the netflix series he thanked me and told me you are a beautiful young woman i thought This was a weird thing for him to say to me, but I thanked him and awkwardly responded with, I like your beard ponytail, because he had a tiny little beard held together by a tiny elastic forming a ponytail on his chin. He laughed and said thank you, and I said, or I don't know what you call that, and he said, I guess I'll call it a beard ponytail. He said that he was glad that I enjoyed the series and that he was glad that I could take a compliment. To which I responded something like, yeah, it's good to take a compliment. And asked him if I could take a selfie with him. To which he responded, of course. So we ended up taking two selfies. I went back to the table. I was on cloud nine. I was like, wow, that was so cool. I texted my mom the selfies and she responded, look him up, period. I was confused for a moment because I had looked him up and that's why I thought it was so cool that I got this photo with him. Uh, when I clicked on the image of him in handcuffs again, I realized that he was not playing a part, that this was a real-life photo of Cuba Gooding Jr. being arrested on account of forcible touching of a 29-year-old woman at a Manhattan nightclub. As of August 2020, 30 women have accused him of unwanted touching, including allegations of assault and rape. He pleads not guilty but I believe all of the women who are victims of his sexual abuse. The three of us wound up leaving the restaurant pretty soon after we found out this information because we just didn't know about his history until my mom texted me and I never ever ever would have knowingly gone up to a sexual perpetrator and pay him a compliment. I really regret having gone up to him and not having known about his past abuse. On the car ride home, I thought about the victims of his abuse and how scary it is just to be a woman and not know that a person that you're talking to is a sexual predator. I hope that all of the survivors who were subject to his abuse get the justice that they deserve. This experience taught me that it's really important that when I decide to go up to a stranger that I am making a well-informed decision and I did not do that in the case of going up to this horrible person. The next bullet point that I have in my 2021 reflection is the excruciating pain of learning which certainly applies to the last story. However, when I wrote this bullet, I was more referring to the phenomenon of it being really uncomfortable to struggle while you're learning something for the first time. While I have no shortage of interests that I wish to pursue, I do have a pretty low tolerance for being bad at a new pursuit. Shame washes over me when I'm struggling in the beginning stages of learning something. And I understand that it is not logical for me to expect myself to know how to do something before I've learned to do it, but the shame is not about logic. It's about an attempt to protect myself f- from failure. Even though enduring failure is the only way to get to the point of success, but there's a huge part of me that just wants to be good at something before I have learn to be good at it. I call this phenomenon that I experience wanting to be a prodigy before practice and now that I've identified this struggle of mine I can look to make the conscious choice to move forward with resilience instead of doing everything in my power to retreat. In college it can be easy to have feelings of imposter syndrome because you're surrounded by smart people and people who are seemingly successful and so i'm proud to say that in 2021 i really made an effort not to retreat from the things that i was interested in just because i wasn't good at them immediately this included my dance class my photo class making the kids book surfing this summer my voice lessons this past semester and doing a photo shoot with a friend of mine When I feel inadequate at something I'm interested in, I have the choice to either admit defeat or prove myself differently, and the more rewarding option is always proving myself differently. Just yesterday, or two days ago, I listened to Frank Ocean's Blonded Radio Christmas special, and he interviewed a man who talked about how taking cold showers benefits mental health and so I decided that I wanted to take a cold shower myself but as soon as I touched the frigid water and shivered I thought to myself I cannot do this but I chose to override this discomfort and take the cold shower because I knew I would feel much more proud of myself if I went through with what I wanted to do in the first place. I know that was a small example, but it did not feel so small when I was being pelted with freezing water and had the option to enjoy a warm shower instead. I'm going to close this episode by thanking anyone who has listened this far or listened at all. Thank you for bearing with me while I figure out how to best record this podcast. I promise that in twenty twenty two I will look to do interviews and have meaningful conversations with those who I admire instead of just posting a monologue of my inner thoughts. Earlier, I mentioned that I would be sharing some of the books that I've read or reread this past year. So, If you're interested in that stay tuned if not goodbye i hope you have a happy and or tolerable new year's day now for the bookworms i will read you guys some of the titles of the books that i've either read for the first time or reread and when i say read i mean listen but bear with me i have listened to the bell jar by sylvia plath i started crime and punishment and swiftly stopped listening so that does not count but i'm looking at my list on audible right now i listened to talking to strangers by malcolm gladwell one of my favorite listens this year was by the creator of the me too movement tarana burke and her book is titled unbound the other book that i absolutely loved by the author Ashley C. Ford was somebody's daughter. Over the summer I had a period of time where I listened to a lot of different comedians biographies or perhaps more accurately memoirs. I listened to Mindy Kaling's Is Everybody Hanging Out Without Me and Other Concerns which made me laugh out loud multiple times. I listened to Seinfeld's book of him reading his stand-up which is titled Is This Anything? I listened to Tina Fey's Bossy Pants which I will admit was not my favorite. I listened to Amy Poehler's book titled Yes Please. I listened to Maya Angelou Read Me I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings which was a wonderful experience. By the way these titles are not in any particular order. I'm just reading the ones that I see on Audible. I read the book Rising Strong by Brene Brown a couple of times in the past few years, but I listened to it while I was in college, and it helped ground me. The same goes for Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed. I listened to the book The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma by Bessel van der Kolk. I listened to a couple of writing books that I really enjoyed, one of them being Bird by Bird, some instructions on writing in life by Anne Lamott, and the other being The Writing Life by Annie Dillard. I particularly enjoyed Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird because I think what she talks about is very connected to this idea of taking things day by day or moment by b- by moment. I just listened to Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid, which was a fun read because a lot of it is based in California so it's always exciting to hear references about places that you've been to or know about. I read Emily Ratajkowski's book titled My Body. I listened to the big book Alcoholics Anonymous by the author Bill W. This was something important for me to read because in treatment although I went for mental health a lot of the curriculum or whatever you want to call it was taken from the big book and while i know the program is not for everyone i do think that there are a lot of valuable lessons in its contents i listened to atomic habits by james clear i listened to oprah winfrey and bruce d perry's book titled what happened to you conversations on trauma resilience and healing And I'm currently in the middle of reading Brene Brown's new book titled Atlas of the Heart. And most of these books I have a physical copy of, which I read along while I'm listening if I'm not walking to a class or doing some other mindless task. I'm a big fan of highlighting and underlining. It really helps me take in the information. I just do struggle with focusing for a long period of time and having the audio in the background definitely helps me get it done. Okay, thank you to the book people. I love you all. Bye-bye.